Hello goblins and ghouls and welcome to another episode of My Haunted Life Podcast with me, Angela Hartshorn. How is your week going? Do you have anything fun planned for the weekend? We just moved into our new place, so this weekend we'll be unpacking. Yay! I'm already terribly missing our old house spirits. It's been quite lonely working on the podcast without them. I guess I have the cats though, right? Anyway, I have a real fun story and interview for you. Today I'm telling you about one of my top five, possibly top three dream paranormal locations to visit. The HMS Queen Mary in Long Beach, California. Not only that, my guest for today was a part of a documentary about the hauntings on the ship. World-renowned witch author and just all-around badass, Fiona Horn. So let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. Queen Mary was one of the most majestic ships to ever set sail. She was the Cunard's flagship and was in direct competition with the White Star Company, made famous because of the Titanic years earlier. In fact, the Queen Mary was two times larger than the Titanic. She had five dining and lounge areas, two cocktail bars, two swimming pools, a ballroom, a small hospital, and a squash ball court. There was one crew member for every two passengers on the ship. So there was about 1,100 crewmen for 2,100 passengers. Some of those passengers even included celebrities of the time, like Bob Hope, Greta Garbo, Clark Gable, and even Winston Churchill. The Queen Mary sailed from 1936 to 1967. She crossed the Atlantic at least a thousand times. At her time, she was the fastest and most luxurious way to cross the Atlantic. She actually held an award called the Blue Ribbon for the fastest crossing of the Atlantic in 1936. She lost it in 1937, but regained it in 1938 and held on to it until 1952. And then war was declared. In December 1939, she was stripped of her amenities and painted camouflage gray and was nicknamed the Gray Ghost. A very auspicious nickname as it turns out. She was converted to a troop carrier in World War II. Because she was so fast, she could travel 32 knots at a time, which was faster than the U-boats and the torpedoes of the day. She was so fast and hard to catch that Hitler even offered a quarter million dollar reward for any U-boat that could sink her. She was able to carry around 15,000 troops per voyage across the Atlantic. It wasn't exactly a comfortable crossing. There are reports of guys dying from heat exhaustion, but it happened. She even holds the record for the most people moved on a ship at least at that time. She carried 16,082 passengers one time. On that crossing, she was hit by a 90-foot rogue wave that almost capsized her. She tilted to 52 degrees. If she would have hit 53 degrees, she would have capsized, killing everyone on board. 
but she didn't, and everyone survived. This might sound like an interesting plot to a movie. It should. It inspired the guy that wrote the Poseidon Avenger, which had far more deaths, if I remember correctly. The Queen Mary was even used for set design in the original movie. After the war, she made at least eight brides and babes trips, carrying 22,000 war brides and their children to the U.S. and Canada. She went through a 10-month complete refurbishment and went back to being her original luxury liner self. She sailed for almost two more decades. However, in the 1960s, travel by airplane became so popular and transatlantic trips via ship ended up going out of vogue. In 1967, she was sold to the city of Long Beach, California for $3.4 million. But you aren't here for maritime history. You are here for the dark stuff. And with the Queen Mary, there is quite a bit. 49 people are known to have died on the ship. 75% of those were crew members. There are no numbers about the amount of soldiers and military men that may have died on the ship. Stories of the haunting were not reported until 1967, when the ship was docked. Frequently reported are the sounds of the engines running that haven't run in decades. So it's almost like the Queen Mary herself is now a ghost. The first captain of the Queen Mary, Sir Edgar Britton, died of a stroke on the ship in 1936. On October 2nd, 1942, there was a troop mission with its escort ship, the HMS Carrico. It couldn't keep up with the Queen Mary, even though it was the escort ship. The Queen Mary was zigzagging back and forth like it was supposed to, but since the Carrico couldn't keep up, it started going straight. During this time, there was some confusion, as there always is in wartime, about who had the right-of-way at the time. The Queen Mary hit the Carrico in the side, cutting it completely in half. 236 men died. 99 men survived, but were left in the water. Due to protocol and the fear of Nazi U-boats, the Queen Mary could not stop. Plus, she was huge. She couldn't have stopped anyways, really. Reports claim that the screams of the men can still be heard in the lower parts of the ship. In 1949, Senior Second Officer William Stark accidentally drank some kind of poison. It's a very odd story. The captain told him he could have a drink after doing something well and went in to grab gin. But instead of gin, it was either laundry detergent or acid. And he died. There's some theories that it was foul play, but nothing concrete. December 10th, 1966, 18-year-old John Petter was crushed to death by watertight door 13. There are many conflicting reports about what actually led up to John's death. One says during foggy conditions, it was common for the captain of the Queen Mary to shut the doors as a precaution. Another suggests that it was a training drill gone horribly wrong. There's also stories of him and the other crewmen playing chicken 
with the door as a funny game during these drills. He just ended up losing this time. What we know for sure is that John ended up being crushed to death in the door. People have heard his screams and have seen his apparition near the door. More recently, there was a death on December 5th, 2011. A girl was out for a fun night on the town with her boyfriend, and she had been drinking. Some reports say that she was climbing on the rail to take a picture, but unfortunately fell 75 feet between the railing and the dock into the cold water, and she did not survive. Cabin 340B is famous for its hauntings, but apparently the whole deck has lots of experiences. Water faucets and the shower and the sinks turning off and on, lights flickering, knocks at the door in the middle of the night, and when you open it, no one's there. Some stories suggest that someone had either committed suicide or possibly just passed away in the room and never left. Two women are seen floating around the ship, one in 1930s attire and the other in a 1960s outfit. There's a story of two Australian soldiers being on board during World War II. They were apparently not a fan of the cooking. So as the story goes, they threw the cook in the oven and he was burned to death. His screams are still heard in the kitchen. Children apparitions are seen quite frequently aboard the ship. There's little girls laughing and running around. And there seems to be at least two that hang around the lower second story pool. One little girl is known by the name Dana. She haunts the area looking for her mother. The story goes that her father is a family annihilator and strangled the mother and sister of the little girl in room 474. The father and Dana were found in the bathroom, shot. There has been a little boy seen as well around the ship, but I couldn't find much about him. In the 1990s, Peter James was a world-renowned paranormal investigator, and he basically used the Queen Mary as sort of a base camp. He captured groundbreaking evidence aboard the ship and frequently interacted with a little girl ghost named Jackie. In 2007, he did a documentary which guest starred my friend Fiona Horn. And after a quick break and word from our sponsors, I'll have Fiona on to tell you what it was like to work on the ship and with Peter James. Fiona Horn is an Aussie rock icon as 
lead singer of the 90s band Def FX, popular TV personality, best-selling author, and Australia's best-known modern witch. She's also a commercial pilot, humanitarian aid worker, world record-holding skydiver. You're going to have to tell me about that. Uh, <laughs> yoga instructor, free diver, and fire dancer. Her 2017 smash hit autobiography, The Naked Witch. Oh, which I have passed, unfortunately. Yeah, I've got, got one here. Good, perfect. <laughs> it's so good. I've read it. I love it. Oh, thanks, Angela. Uh, drew praise from readers and critics for her brave and forthright sharing of the extraordinary of her extraordinary life's lessons. The Art of the Witch, Fiona's Guide to Living an Authentic Magical Life, is her latest book. This book is gorgeous. Thanks. I got to play with it with Tanya. It, it has it's, velvet. Yeah, I'm very blessed. The publisher's really... Um, you know, went all out with this, and it's, yeah, velvet and gold foil, and yeah. I feel very blessed that they did such a lovely, lovely job. The whole book's just really, I'm really grateful, you know, because this is kind of like a manifesto, 30 years of practice, how do you Oof. sort of sum it up in some way, and that's what this book is. With all the other books, this one was the the opus, I guess, but at the same time, um, of course, I have another one coming out, Angela, the next year. Oh, I thought this would be the very, very, very last one, but... It's like never say never, eh? Oh my God. And then I've also got my Oracle deck too. Let's just give those a plug as yes. well. Because I know, I think you can see it without the reflection there. The yeah. Oracle deck has been so beautifully and warmly received. I mean, the opportunity to write an Oracle deck, which kind of taps into what we're going to talk about today, you know, getting yeah. messages from beyond the veils. Um, but yeah, the Oracle deck now, I just found out it's being published in France next year and, and just, you know, countries all over the world. But I get so much uh, lovely feedback from um, witches and just members of our magical community, you know, people who are passionate about divination and helping themselves and others and using this Oracle deck as a tool. So it's really beautiful. And the artist, I must say, is Marcella Bolivar. She's a Colombian artist, incredibly gifted, and I was very blessed to work with her. You can see her beautiful art on it. Yeah, so yeah, it's pretty magical. So I'm very grateful that these few things are my re-emergence into the magical world after working as a commercial pilot for seven years and trading in the broomstick for a plane, you know, and then I get to get to put my foot back in the world again with these beautiful, you know, babies that I'm allowed to give birth to yeah. thanks to just a extraordinary, extraordinary times. Just, you know, you can never... Never think that all your adventures are over. There's always a new one just waiting around the corner. <laughs> it almost, would you say you're almost as busy as you ever have been? I feel like you are just putting mm. out so much information all of a sudden, and it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I really agree with you there. It's, um, you know, there was a period working in the entertainment industry when you feel like it's all go, 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 and... Um, you know, it was 20 years of that with the band and TV stuff after that and all the books, you know, published with, you know, big publishers and living in America and doing all that. Um, but I, it's funny, you know, social media wasn't around when I was, uh, you know, really out in the public eye a lot. And I think, you know, that as a, as a, as a task, as a, you know, something that people take on themselves, uh, on, like on board themselves has become has made it all so much more busier again. It's funny, you know, because you think, oh, Fiona's busy because she's writing, written three books at the same time she was flying people all over the Caribbean as a busy international Caribbean charter pilot and doing all the aid stuff to Haiti and all that, the yeah. aid trips I did and putting all that together, all the animal rescue, all the voluntary work I was doing. It's like, but in a way, I think, yes, I am busier than I've ever been, but I think one of the biggest tasks is just keeping a presence in our new platform of international communication and even in these times of you know all the lockdowns and restrictions and these extraordinary times that some um, people are living a virtual life in in radically busy ways um so it's just yeah it's just very interesting i just feel really blessed that um you know putting it in perspective that i never thought i'd get to you know, do all this kind of stuff. And I'd kind of taken my practice as a witch back into my own personal 
kind of realm after being so public for, for decades, you know, and yeah. then to get the chance to step out again and find that it's relevant and useful. And I'm kind of in this position now as an elder with 30 years, you know, behind me, 14 books. It's a different perspective. And to see you've had an impact on generations of witches and families, you know, people bringing up their, their kids as witches because of books they read and in, an impact you made on them about 20 years ago. It's very humbling and very... Um, beautiful too I, lo I love that our magical community is as strong and resilient and expansive as it is now um very different to when i kind of came it came on board you know 30 years ago it's really i love how it's grown and i think it's a really um useful spiritual path to <laughs> tread as far as being of service in these very challenging times in the human race you know Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that you're doing your podcast and you've invited me on I to talk about spooky shit. It's great. I want to cover everything real quick. because we're to First of all, I'm going to go back a little bit. What is the skydiving record? Oh, okay. Well, the skydiving record happened um, when I was in my 40s. I'm now in my 50s, eh? Um, it was 2012, I think or maybe 11. Gosh, I can't remember. Anyway, I should remember. <laughs> um, the record was that uh, a group of um, 13 of us, and we're all over 40, jumped out of an airplane at 14,000 feet up in Malau, like up in um, sort of uh, south of Seattle, uh, Malau, I can never pronounce this properly, Malala Airport um, skydiving group up there. Yeah, it's um, right next to Mount Rainier, so Washington okay. State. Yeah. And um, it was a planned, uh, a planned record. And um, the, the unique thing was we were all over 40. And to do the kind of formation flying we did, head down and docking and creating this predetermined, you know, um, uh, predetermined jump. Everyone had their slots to fly. I'm trying to think of like the terms to describe it in an everyday kind of way. But we all had a plan. We had to fly our slots. You know, we took out a piece. Everyone, the people flew in. We held it. We flew it. It got photographed. All the docks were checked that where we we taken our docks our grips were correct and legal and we were given a world record that to do that head down formation um uh you know back then and we we're all over 40. i mean you know the head down formations now can number in the hundreds of people but oh, wow. for all of us to do it and there were 13 of us and we all did it we're all over 40 that was a world record that record since was oh. broken yeah it was broken um a couple of years ago i think but um, I think they went up to 18 or something, I, I think. But it was, it was just really amazing to be part of a world record of it, it, with everyone working together as a team to, yeah. you know, with amazing organisers. We had David Gershaw's brilliant uh, skydiver and he was he put the, the jump together and just, you know, jumped with some really beautiful, amazing people. And, you know, world record's an exciting, fun thing to do, yeah. let alone in skydiving. Um, you've all got a goal and there's a chance you won't make it too. We all went up there from all over the country hoping we'd make it. I was certainly the least experienced one. I only was able to fly that world record because I had two great skydivers either side of me that held, like that were, I was docked on that allowed me to fly upside down, you know, in, uh, oh in, the, you know, in the formation successfully. But uh, yeah, I loved that it. it was just, you know, it, again, it's the, it's the power of what can be achieved when people unite with a like-minded goal um, and certainly with a sense of fun and adventure and celebration. And um, I love that we're all, you know, in an age group where, you know, these days you can't attribute um, a, 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 like a decline in life to, mm -hmm. you know, inevitable ageing processes. I, I certainly find that I, I like to think and experience that I'm growing not older but better and just keep doing cool shit, you know, and having a great great um time at it <laughs> doing i it. love it i feel like out of everyone anyone i know you would have a world record in like your resume i love it um, <laughs> i know a lot of people i i remember this show but uh sci-fi had a show called mad mad house and yeah for a lot of american viewers um are could be familiar with you i remember watching it and it took yeah several times meeting you at like hex fest and hanging mm. out with the Witchway crew before it clicked hello 
I'm Peter James. And I'm Fiona Horn. Welcome to Ghost Encounters. Aboard the Queen Mary. Hauntings have been reported in all cultures worldwide since the beginning of recorded history. And man has sought to understand and prove the existence of ghosts. And with a great deal of skepticism, it's taken many years of pondering the greatest mystery in the world of the unknown. Is there life after death? Possibly longer, but um, I looked it up and I it was 
Yeah, it was a producer, um, Chuck Adelman, who contacted me and said, uh, you know, we had this opportunity to do this great doco with Peter James, who's like, you know, the number one paranormal investigator in the world. Um, he's expressed an interest in working with you. He's intrigued with your witchcraft. He's a very nice man. Um, and he spends a lot of time exploring uh, the paranormal environment of the Queen Mary, the infamous ship that was docked at Long Beach. And he said, and the producer said to me, would you be interested in being a part of this documentary called Ghosts Aboard the Queen or Ghosts of the Queen Mary? And, um, and I said, oh my gosh, yes. I mean, of course I knew like you who Peter was and I was yeah. more of his work and just classy dude, you know, old school, cool as, um, I'd watched a lot of the things he'd been on. Um, and then, so we met and I uh, had an immediate rapport and his, not only was he, a uh, very like experienced and wise in the world of the paranormal he's also psychic himself and a very spiritual uh man just and such a gentleman like just oh, and i was like oh my gosh i want to do this so the plan was that we would um go like, like peter basically had a residency on the queen mary where he was yeah. the ghost expert on it and he conducted tours and things as well um but so what he was going to do, I was going to spend, um, was going to be a week aboard the ship. And I think, I think a week was like four, you know, it equated as four nights. And, um, and we did a lot of filming, uh, and really he took me on the classic kind of, you know, ghost tour, but then he, he just took it 25 steps further <laughs> than, you know, 25,000 steps further. We went into the, the really remote areas of the, of the boat, um, mm and had some really profound, tangible experiences of paranormal activity there that I think because he'd spent so much time on the boat and was very attuned to it, that the, the activity itself, uh, the entities involved were very receptive and, um, you know, kind of connected with him. So even as he would say, oh, you can never guarantee anything, Things were happening all the time that were very tangible. Add to that that with my, you know, psychic experiences of, you know, stuff will come through and uh, I just have learned to trust it, not doubt it. It was a huge learning over the years. It was a huge learning curve then because, you know, 10 or so years ago, I was still sometimes doubting it, thinking, is this my imagination? Is this real? Mm -hmm. um, but being with someone like him and being in a supportive environment, messages and Im images came through even stronger. So I'd walk into a space and I'd say, I see hospital beds and people dying. And he'd say, but, you know, we're in a luxurious, you know, interior room that looks like a ballroom. And I'm saying, yeah. I see people on you know hospital bed but makeshift kind of you know framed hospital beds with uh bloodied and mm -hmm. he would say yes well the boat was um used as a uh as a um you know a a, a, a medical uh i'm waking up here angela i should have probably had another <laughs> cup of coffee but it was used as a hospital a floating hospital after yeah. the war and or during the war and and so the second world war if i remember correctly and so you're just in this like zone where for four days you're just so immersed in it and you're having all these experiences yourself you're experiencing things like that um where he can tell you things and then he's experiencing things so the documentary reflects all of that and also captured some of the actual activity going on so it was an amazing thing to be a part of. And, you know, Peter James, uh, rest, rest his yeah. beautiful divine soul um, from this physical form, uh, He, when he died, his ashes were interred on the boat. So, yeah. He, he's, yeah, he's still a part of him is there, and which is just beautiful, you know. That. That, mm. He just spent so much time and, like, a huge chunk of his life. They were, like, I, I remember seeing an article or go show or something I can't remember but yeah. uh, they described him as a spirit on the ship even yeah. before he passed he was always yeah he's there and he's and his his energy as a as a paranormal investigator as a psychic um that that subtle energy was you know impregnated in the space and the environment as it communicated and enhanced 
the uh, opportunities for entities on the other side to express themselves through his receptive physical form. Um, so he had a very interactive relationship mm-hmm. with uh, everyone. I mean, he brought a lot of joy to, to the Queen Mary, not only in the tourists that got to do his really cool tours, but also um, for the actual entities and spiritual beings that were there and the, the humans that suffered trauma on that boat that were still clinging to it, you know, and like like the young men in those hospital mm-hmm. beds that I had a vision of that were all so he- bloodied and wounded and... You know, and you just, a lot of suffering went on there. And there was a little girl who drowned in the swimming pool. Yeah. Um, and that was the, one of the first most extraordinary tangible experiences I had because, you know, we were setting up the shot. And it's a beautiful art, empty swimming pool now in the middle of the ship. And it's um, Art Deco tiles, and you know, you know, of the era, very beautiful. Um, very eerie and you know of course we're going into places at night not because spiritual entities or entities only express themselves at night that's not the case but we're more receptive to it at night because Mm -hmm. our more of our senses are shut down and we're less stimulated by the external so we become more receptive to have these paranormal experiences that's why it happens at the proverbial night where you know where you are in physical form on the the dark side of the planet for that that 24 hour (laughs) period you know um, but anyway, well, so we were setting up a nighttime shot and it was all very, you know, kind of lights and spooky looking in this big, huge underground or like underground, I mean, inside the ship, internal of the ship, uh, swimming pool area. And I'm hearing this tune in my head and it's da 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 It's like, I'm hearing it like it's being hummed or kind of, oh, wow. it was more like a la 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 da 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 and it was a young little sounding voice. <laughs> and um, and then we start the story. I've got this going on in my head. I'm not telling anyone, but it's like, fuck, I wish I could get this tune out of my head. I can't concentrate. <laughs> I'm trying to listen to what the producer wants me to do, where he wants me to stand, the questions are, okay, so you need me to ask here. I've got to be ready with my script, you know, and I'm ready to go. And, and Anyway, so... I finally, you know, take my direction, camera's rolling, I look to Peter and I say, well, Peter, you know, this is a really beautiful part of the of the, the uh, ship, you know, that can imagine all the uh, elegant people swimming in this beautiful Art Deco pool and everything. And I said, it, uh, it's certainly eerie here at night. And he said, oh, yes, that's because there is a little girl that drowned and she now, her spirit inhabits this place. And sometimes you can hear her singing, London Bridge is falling down, London Bridge is falling down. And I'm like, and I just, I mean, I'm even rushing with goosebumps now when I read yes. I feel like she's channeling through me. <laughs> and I said, oh my God, I'm the bloody, that tune's been in my head ever since we came in here, like the last hour while we were setting up the shot. No, 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 no. London Bridge is falling down. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so I knew nothing. No, this is how we worked this thing. I purposefully did not do any research. I, I knew the Queen Mary was docked down at Long Beach, and I knew it was haunted, one of the most haunted ships in the world. But I didn't, you know, I was busy doing other things. I think that's why I was ideal for this um, particular show, because I was receptive, but I didn't actually know anything, like, specifically. So I could go, and I made... I was careful not to learn anything about the boat before I got on and um, and actually have a fresh interaction with Peter on all these things. So, um, and there's one thing in the documentary that's really nuts about that, um, God, about that, so nuts, about that uh, that moment in the pool. So we shoot all that. I'm hearing the song. He, t- he just goes and says, London Bridge is falling down. You'll hear her singing it. And I said that I've, I've been hearing that tune in my head. And we do have a few more moments there and then that, that shot is captured. So I think that that was the end of the night for Peter and I and it was our, you know, cut and we're going to bed and, you know, we'll come back and be filming the next day, the next night. And when um, the producers were packing up the shot, Chuck, our producer, and this is in the documentary, He's filming, he's got the camera on and he says, well, something like, we know you're here. Do you have anything to say to us before we leave? And you hear, goodbye. You hear this, goodbye. Fucking hell. It was like so, and 
Chat face just goes, oh. And like later, when I saw, when he showed us this, look what we just got. And he hear this, goodbye. And it's echoing off the pool. <laughs> and I said, he says, you know, I said, Chuck, I mean, and he goes, I, nothing. Like, that just, I was there rapping. I thought I'd just try one shot. And he handheld the camera and tried it and got that. So it was really eerie, things like that. So tangible. No one else there. I mean, who would have done that? You know? Yeah. So it was really, wow. yeah, really nuts. And he goes, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's like just bloody, you know, so. Wow. Yeah, what and Peter was pretty impressed with that too. Because it seemed like when you look up uh, Peter James and Queen Mary, it's him and a little girl named Jackie. And there's like mm. all the stuff on just the two of them. Yeah. And it's fun. You can't find the documentary. I have been searching since. For, our, for Ghosts of the Queen Mary? For our documentary? Okay, so... I knew at one stage I had about 200 DVDs of it. Um, I think it can, it's not on YouTube. I think it's been uploaded to YouTube. I couldn't couldn't find it? Really? Wow. So I know you could buy it on Amazon. Oh, is it still available on Amazon, is it? There's like every once in a while one copy will pop up. Yeah, yeah. It's like a DVD. I did. I have even seen VHS, which made me giggle. Like when I first left, it was only on VHS. Right, right, okay. Well, I know it did come out on DVD, and I know that at one point when I was doing events and things, I had like 200 copies, and I was selling them as a part of the whole, you know, package of work I'd been doing. And I'm, I'm quite sure it aired on TV, um, but I can't remember what channel. But it was a self-funded documentary that Chuck put together because also because I think he was really close with Peter and we wanted to have this opportunity to capture an extraordinary man in an extraordinary environment at an extraordinary moment in time because it it wasn't that long after we did that um, that things started to change with Peter's health. And, uh, yeah, and he was, you know, such an elegant, lovely man, um, but, but frail, relatively frail compared to... Um, you know who he you know obviously he's younger years i mean i think yeah. he was well into his late 70s when we did the documentary wow so yeah yeah because if you look at some of the old there you can find the trailer for the documentary which is kind uh, of yeah then um he looks really good still and then oh yeah the next like few years you just start you can start seeing it unfortunately yeah well, you know, it's. I guess that you know we're all here. There's two inevitable deaths we experience in this physical form. One is when we leave our mother's womb. That could certainly be classified as a death. You know, you're like <laughs> happy as anything in there, and then all of a sudden, if you have a, a, a natural birth, you're squeezed through this horribly tight canal and <laughs> shot out, and your beautiful, warm little world is dead and over, and you're shot out into this bright light world and slapped on the ass or whatever to breathe. And, you're like, oh my God, I've just died. And but what is this? And everything I know is gone. What is this? And I think, you know, that's a similar thing. When we die in this physical form as adults, that'll be our second physical death. You know, there was the one when we left the womb and born into mm-hmm. this world. And there'll be one when we leave this body and we're born into whatever is after that. You know, that's my personal kind of uh, belief, actually. I really do believe that. That that's what happens and you you know when you look as a witch you know we look to nature for guidance and you know the it's you know you look to the natural forces of procreation that, that the human is born of an of sperm and egg and then is you know grows in this womb and then is birthed it's a death of the life in the womb so to me it's like a it's, but it's not a death, it's a beginning. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only think my common sense tells me that when this physical form ends, um, like the, the womb life with the placenta and the lungs full of fluid and everything, that ended and I was born. So when this ends, I'll be born into something else. No, you know, it's, it's common sense, really. Yeah, you know, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think it makes sense. I mean, I think it's, you know, the cycles of nature, microcosm reflecting the macrocosm, as above, so below, as the universe, so the soul. It's like all these witchy things we say, but it's all mm-hmm. common sense, really. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, going back to the Queen Mary, what was your most frightening experience? Mm. 
But there was a really fun one if you get the trailer of like huge giant knocking crashing. Yeah, I was going to say the knocking crashing, and that's pretty. I'm pretty sure that was down when we were down in the boiler room. Okay. Um, yeah, that was pretty eerie. And yeah, the, we were taken into areas of the ship that no one else goes into, and Peter was giving us the very private kind of his world of it. And um, yeah, it was very loud crashing and banging um, on the uh, in that boiler room that just. You know, I mean, the ship's not operating. The engines don't run. It's in a very um, still part of the bay there in Long Beach, very still. Um, there's no, there was no passing traffic of large ships that could create those kinds of noises that would echo through a hull like that that were really quite so deafening and eerie. So... Um, and they were responding to to Peter speaking. You know that was the thing when he would invite it, it would happen. So I think that um, that was very very extraordinary. And you know, and you just sense it and feel it that there's a presence communicating with you. Um, the other thing for me personally that wasn't on camera was my own own personal experience where we'd had a late night filming. We might have wrapped even. We might have actually wrapped, and it was like three in the morning. Um, and I was, yeah, because we were filming into the night every night. We'd start work at, at 7 p.m. and work till 4 a.m., you know, um, filming. Um, the life of a ghost hunter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just, you flip it. And again, it's not because ghosts only come out at night. It's because yeah. we're more sensitive to it being that our senses are less stimulated and we shift the way we perceive the world in, in the night hours. Um, so for me, it was going back to my room and walking along the corridor, and I can only explain this, these long corridors that kind of curved with the shape of the ship and all these, this red kind of carpet that went up and then these doors and it's curved. And it was eerie unto itself. You know, you're, you're the only, you know, there's all the five people on the entire boat and it's kind of eerie to be on a huge passenger ship when you, there's hardly anyone else there. So I'm alone in my corridor. There's no one staying in the same area as me. And I just sensed this itself. My memory of it now sitting here is that I was walking and then I just felt this pressure and I just heard, I was like milling, like so many voices, like couldn't determine what was being said, but it was like just a million conversations layered on top of each other. Every single conversation that happened in this hallway, every single person that had walked up and down this hallway um, or this passage, you know, was just and I felt like I was moving through thick soup and everyone like was there. And it just to me was the final confirmation that in my own time, without the cameras on, without any feeling like I have to perform to the what's expected to get the shot yeah. and the story, I just had this really tangible experience that and you know, I can only it, because it was scary in the sense of, you know, I always welcome, you know, I, I, 10 words went through my head, then esoteric, metaphysical, extraterrestrial, uh, <laughs> you know, paranormal. I always welcome those experiences. Yeah. Um, that's part of my spiritual path as a witch is to be willing and open to consider all that possible and have tangible experiences. Um, but this was a little... It felt very invasive, like it was being forced on me, like, let, hear me, hear me, hear me, and me, and me, and me. And it was like, oh, and it reminded me a bit of, like, The Shining or something. I felt oh, that wow. it had this really, you know, that 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 hotel that The Shining story is based around, and, um, and I've seen that hotel at Estes Park up in, uh, you know, Colorado, and you get that same feeling that it's just, all these people that have their story and they want to be heard because they're still there. They haven't left and they haven't transitioned and they're attached to the ego form of self that existed and they just want to be heard. And it was very suffocating and it was hard for me to walk to my room. I felt like I was literally pushing and I didn't even know if I should get to my room. The second I was able to get into my room and shut the door, it all went away. Wow. It was very intense because I created it. And that's what Peter would always say to me when, you know, if you're having an experience of, and you're not liking the 
the experience. You tell the entity to leave. You say no, or you thank them. I mean, I, when I bought a house in Bakersfield in California with my ex, and it was uh, the way we bought it, it was a probate sale. This was, I guess, 12, 13 years ago now. We bought the house, maybe 14. Um, and it was a probate sale. The lady had died. Uh, she was very ill. She had cancer. She was obese and mm. she was diabetic and, you know, was kind of housebound. And she didn't die in the house, but she went into her final stages of life yeah. in the house and had to be, you know, taken by ambulance and everything. And um, so things were happening when uh, when Jeff and I bought the house through the probate sale. So it was, you know what, I'm remembering now, it was 2009 because the uh, economy was crashing and, you know, mm. so we, we bought a house in this time. I'm just remembering, yeah, so 11 years ago. So anyway, um, so Jeff would do things. I'd be doing something like, a, you know, left the house, gone to work. He'd be getting it ready and we were moving from our apartment into the house. And he said the lights would just keep coming on. He'd be sure he turned off all the lights. He'd leave, he'd come back, and the light in the uh, above the garage was always open. It was just switching itself on and off all the time wasn't an electrical problem it just this light was being switched on and off all the time then when we actually started staying there um manny our cat you know every night he'd just be in the, oh god I still get chills in the lounge room he the bedroom was upstairs he'd be down in one corner of the lounge and just looking at something and going wow, wow. like you know and he'd never done that anywhere else in the other apartment. With you know, I've been with Jeff for a while now, and you know, we're now excited to be buying a home together. And and we've never seen the cat do this. It was, and I just kept feeling that there was something always on my back, like watching me and following mm. me around in the house. And the bloody lights coming on, on the cat's. And I finally remembered something Peter had taught me, which was Fiona, if you just want to kind of make peace, because if you feel that someone's or something's not happy with you being there, then talk to them. So that's what I did. The next night, Manny was doing And I stood in the lounge, I went down to where he was and I stood and I thought, it's gotta be Cindy. It's gotta be the lady that lived here and loved this house and but ultimately got very ill and spent a lot of her life bedridden in it and ultimately died. So, um, and we bought the house because of her death, you know, probate sale sort of thing. So, um, so I, uh, I talked to her and I said, Cindy, you know, Jeff and I are so grateful to be here in your lovely home. We're so grateful that, you know, I went to court. I had to ask the court to let me buy the house because it was probate. And I'm so grateful the judge allowed it to be us. And we, you know, we want to be happy here and honour your beautiful renovations. That she's done some lovely renovations and just, you know, and... Uh, so we're just really grateful to be here and, you know, we hope that you're happy that we're here too and we promise to honour you and all the beautiful effort and energy you put into this lovely home. And um, it all stopped straight away. She never came back. She let she let go. Wow. She let go. And, you know, that's when I've helped people with um, clearing entity, entities or, or negative energy out of a space, that's what I always do. I go in and I just relax. And I ask, you know, my idea of a higher power to let me know if there's anything I can do or anyone I can talk to or connect with, communicate with. And then I'll sense it um, if it's a personality or, or a type of person that's still there, like maybe an age, like like a certain age or a certain mm -hmm. gender, uh, you know, or I see an image, I trust it. I don't second guess it. I just go and I talk to it and start to speak, get a feeling for why it's there, why it's distressed, why the energy's disturbed and then try and soothe, encourage, counsel that energy to either peacefully um, allow other, you know, spiritual beings, because we're all spiritual beings having a mm -hmm. physical human experience right now, so allow the other spiritual beings to exist in a, in a compatible and peaceful way, or to even leave and move on because their work, their time is done and it's okay to go, you know, and that's sort of, those sort of conversations you can have um, on a, I say it out loud with a human voice, but it's oh, also yeah. about the energy and the attention. It's that feeling. It is when the hairs stand up on your ass. Mm -hmm. It's all that. It's energy, and you shift it, and you you kind of uh, embrace it, and you uh, heal it. You know, a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, and that's how that whole kind of um, well, that's how I've experienced working as a releasing en entity energy uh, and helping people with that is how it works. You know. 
Oh, Tina, talk, talk me about that. The first, the baby steps of that, doing that cohesively and coherently as a service, like uh, just to help, you know, just to be useful and helpful. Um, and also in my own life, you know, dealing with some crazy shit that's gone on since then. Um, Peter taught me that first thing, just talk to them. They're humans. They're still there. They're attached in their ego form. So just talk to them. They're a person. They're not a freak. They're not a ghoul. They're a person. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's where you start to have really beautiful experiences. Oh, I love that. Just, yeah. I have come across that a few times. They just want acknowledgement sometimes. Mm, yeah. And they, they just want to be, you know, seen. And yeah, and felt even. You know, like when I, yeah. I was doing a... Um, I was doing, I wrote about this in my autobiography, I was doing a sound ritual with Laurie Cabot's coven up in Salem some time ago. Um, I think I remember this in the book. Yeah, it was a, quite a while ago. It might have been when one of the witches' balls where uh, Christian had first invited me up there, even before he met Brian, like ages and ages ago. Um, Sandra and Leanne were up there and it was, um, you know, it was very early days and uh, my new friendship with them. But, yeah, I remember meeting Laurie. I was thrilled to meet her because Power of the Witch was, you know, one of my textbooks from when I was a witchling baby witch mm. so to meet Laurie Cabot in person was a huge honor and thrill and uh, such a lovely woman and yeah. powerful woman and then to go and do the sound ritual with her coven so we're doing that and uh, we're on the you know where the real gallows hill is you know which isn't where the tourists go the other area and they've buried yeah. all these crystals there it's very potent going in this beautiful sickle moon big yellow you know waning moon in the sky so beautiful and um we're all up there, all these witches, and and I and one of the coven members is running around the circle, raising power with a sword, and he's tracing the circle, but also starting to commence the raising power part of it. And I feel this strong hand on my shoulder, like very firm, and I it felt like he'd stopped, because everyone's eyes closed, we're focused on raising the cone, and he's running around with the sword, and I feel this hand on my shoulder like that. Mm-hmm. And I think he stopped and he's holding me and I keep in this thing and I turn around and no one's there and the hand oh, pushes oh, on my yeah. shoulder. And then I just knew it was my father, my father who died a number of years before, my biological father who I only met twice. <laughs> and then he, he didn't die there. I don't even know if he'd ever been to Salem, but, but he came through the veils to connect with me there because we were creating this space and sour in the night when the veils between the worlds lift, you know, our sacred Sabbath and it's like, and there he, there he was, and I felt so reassured and, and like that he was looking out for me and he was keeping an eye on me in a way that he couldn't when I was a, you know, he was alive and I was a human child given up for adoption because he couldn't marry my mother, that's a whole other mm-hmm. story. But that from beyond, he would keep an eye on me and guide me. And I think since then I've often felt his guiding hand on my shoulder helping me to know what steps to take mm-hmm. to live my best, most authentic life now. So yeah, I love it. Oh and I talked to actually talked to my blood sisters, my half sisters, and Jessica, um, she who who grew up with him as their father and different mum, and it was all a long time after I was born. And everything. Jessica's one of my half sisters, and she, you know, she's. I told her that story, and she says that would be George. He was the most loving, kind father, and he really guided mm. us and inspired us. And he was a very gentle man, you know, was very very strong hands, lovely lovely elegant man and yeah just really beautiful to be able to share a story like that with my blood sister and she would say that sounds like our father you know that's the father I had the I grew up with but you know I I didn't she grew up with him but I was obviously being brought up by a different different family as an adopted child no I, I that that part of your history is I thought it was very relatable mm. and I, I absolutely adore the story. Uh, if anybody wants to read it, you need to go by The Naked Witch. Oh, yeah, The Naked yes. Witch. And it's all yes. in there about how I'm, you know, by blood, I'm the daughter of a Hungarian Jewish man who is a Holocaust survivor, literally, you know, shot in the leg, loaded onto a cart of dead bodies. And, and then one of his mates saw him moving and pulled him off. And, I mean, he was, you know, a Holocaust survivor. I have that, that uh, blood in my mm-hmm. veins and uh, resonates very strongly sometimes a survival aspect and then I'm also the daughter of a lovely German girl who Lutheran who you know it's one of the reasons they couldn't marry when I was conceived but they were in love and uh, it was only 20 years after the 
war in that time, so it was just too soon for, yeah. for, the, for the, the divide there, um, you know, the religious divide. It's a, you know, complicated story, but it's all in my book. And I'm just, blessed, I'm just blessed that I, I know my biological mother and I also know um, my, my, she says to call her my love mother, my father's eventual wife, who is the mother of my half-sisters. We're all very close. So Aww. such a blessing and I'm close to my blood mother and it's just a real beautiful blessing to, you know, connect with the physical humans that you were born of, you know. I love it. Yeah. There's people find the books and the deck oh okay yeah the deck the books all this great fun stuff thank you for letting me hold it all up for everyone i'm proud oh, of my course. babies yes. <laughs> you know what the easiest spot um is obviously online like you know they're all published and distributed by red wheel wiser and simon and schuster internationally so it's a boutique publishing um company Rockpool Publishing that really put a lot of beautiful effort and work into their um especially their oracle decks and um they have a very eclectic catalogue and I'm grateful to be part of a small boutique publisher who then has the the powerful distributing arms of a massive company like Simon Schuster and also Red Wheel Wiser so they're everywhere basically if you're one of the people in the world that aren't being uh, told to stay in your homes and, you, and, and businesses are open. Well, Barnes and Noble is a great place to start, but everywhere online you can order the books. And it's probably easy if you go to fionahorn.com, um, my website, and I've actually put links on the homepage to these latest books. And, and also, you know, Witcher Magical Journey, that book, that, the, my first one that came out um, all those years ago in the 90s and in early 2000, in, in, you know, in the US and the UK, but not, late 90s in Australia. Um, that's just had its 20th edition, 20th anniversary wow. edition published. Yeah, so it's very, so HarperCollins publishes that. And again, it's all online and these oh. days, you know, anywhere you buy good books online, you can get my books. My first Fiona book was, um, I had a friend who was getting into witchcraft and he was coming mm -hmm. to me for stuff. And he's like, where do I buy books? I'm like, just find them online. So he bought, he accidentally bought two of every book. That oh, wow. So I got a whole bunch of new books. You got a great library out of it. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> it was awesome. And um, the first one I got of yours was Pop Go the Witch. Oh, okay. That was the anthology I edited. Yeah. yeah. And I wrote some in it, but got the opportunity to edit the anthology. You know, people like Ray Buckland, Janet and Stuart Farrar, yeah. I mean, all contributed. It was um, Bill Beatty did. It was just, well, Liam Kiffrin is his writer name. Um, I was so blessed to have so many uh, luminaries of the occult and magical world contribute to that book, and I wrote some parts of it. But um, yeah, that's it. That, and you know what? That is still available. Um, still, Red Wheel Wiser took over the Disinformation Catalogue, which was the original one it came out on. The original label, it was a, an independent publisher called Disinformation Great Publishing House. So yeah, then um, Red Wheel Wiser took all that over. So it's still out there. You can still get it. Yeah, that's cool. Not too long ago in a bookstore, and I was like, hey. Yeah. Well, I know. I know. Um, Christian stores, the hex stores, have copies. It's getting more and more rare, and it won't be reprinted. So if you see a copy, grab it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will eventually get you to sign mine. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, I would have done it next week if we could have all been physically together in New Orleans. That. Instead, I took a government repatriation flight out of California um, nearly two months ago now and uh, yeah. came out to Australia. And I had, um, I was supposed to be out here in October doing a women's festival and three-day women's festival over the Samhain weekend, which is Beltane here, but, you know, okay. Samhain in the north and Beltane down here. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, happy, happy <laughs> Lammas to you, darling. <laughs> Now you see it. Now you don't. Yeah, I know it's fun when we sort of like cross cross over with our with our um, Sabbaths. It's cool, um, but yeah, it doesn't feel like. I mean, we're sort of tiptoeing into spring here, but it's um, as Inbolt does, you know, get making plans for the the greenings of the world. It's um, still bloody cold down here. I've got to say, hot <laughs> and wet. Um, but yeah, no, I left. Uh, I decided to do the government repatriation flight back in. Uh, it was like one of the last two flights if you were an Australian citizen, if you wanted to return to Australia during these extraordinary times. And I'm a US citizen as well. I've had it, lived in the US for 20 years and have a US passport of the last four years now, US citizen. So 
very proud of my US citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, I was supposed to start a job flying this airplane in California, and but oh, wow. it was the state was just, it, you know, riots were breaking out at that point. And I had to make a kind of a last minute decision because borders are shut, international borders are shut. Do I want to get one of the last flights back to Australia for now, for the foreseeable future? So I had to really dig deep and I decided to come out. Yeah. And as it turns out, you know, my father, my father I grew up with, um, is very, is fading. It's coming up to his time of transition. Now, this only happened this last week. So something in my gut was guiding me or maybe my my biological father's hand was guiding me to be back here in this country at this time be close to family as and then you know dad's now going to he's commencing his transition so it's probably he's been told he has a month to live um we'll see doctors or whatever they are you know you get these sentences of death and then you live for another five years but dad's frail it's it's he's i think he's ready he's ready to transition so um yeah, it's good that I can be here at this time. And, no. you know, so it all, even though at the time I was walking away from a job and, you know, it's all meant to work out like this. So everything mm-hmm. works out the way it's meant to. So, so yeah. you said that next week we should be at Hex. Yeah, normally we'd be there, hey, wouldn't we? Yeah. Right. And it yeah. made me think, because this year I wasn't going to go, because this weekend I had, I was supposed to have, a huge show. In Long Beach, oh. my girlfriend were going to be staying on the Queen Mary. Oh. I didn't even put together that was this weekend until this very second. Wow. So we get to have a Queen Mary experience yes. and a Peter James experience. Yes. I'm yeah. so excited. I yeah. love it. Well, thank I you so much. Thank you, Angela. Thanks uh, for having me on. Thank you yes, for letting me rave course. on. And, uh, I hope your Patreon channel viewers enjoy meeting Zari the Dingo. That's her name. She's asleep now. Oh, do you want to see her one more time? Let me show you. She's being a good girl now. Hang on, here we go. (laughs) A huge thank you to Fiona Horn for being a part of today's show. Remember, you can find her books and her gorgeous oracle deck over on FionaHorn.com. You should really go check them out. Again, gorgeous. And the books are phenomenal. And as always, a huge thank you to you, the listener. You know who you are. I love you. You are amazing. Thank you so much for listening to another installment of My Haunted Life podcast. If you like the show, please, please, please rate and review me on your favorite podcast apps. It goes a long way to helping other people find me. I also have a Facebook group that I'm on quite regularly. And I have some wonderful admins helping me with it. Also, I have a Patreon if you really want to support the show and help me decide on future episodes. I'm working on getting it completely updated, but soon there will be video of Fiona and her dingo friend mentioned. For Fiona's behind-the-scenes video, we talk about Australia, dingoes, and quarantine. Come on over and say hi! My sources today were QueenMary.com, Haunted History Podcast, and the Astonishing Tales Podcast.